Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Todd. Yes, sir. I want to talk about trauma. Drama. I like it. It's one of my, my favorite topics. Specialty, right? Don't you work with a lot of people I do. with trauma? I, I really enjoy working with trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. acute stress, all of those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had a client um, a long time ago when I was first starting off, like in grad school doing rotation. And someone I've been working with for a while, an older guy who had a son who was in college who lived at home with him. But he came in and right off the bat, he said, I got a question for you. He was this kind of gruff East Texas guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try and imitate his accent. No. <laughs> he goes, what the hell is trauma anyway? Mm. And then he went on to say how his, his son had come home from school and had said that it had been a really traumatic day. Mm-hmm. And so the, the dad asked why, and he said because he – because he'd had to give a presentation or something at school and he'd messed up some part and some people had laughed and it, he got really embarrassed. Sure. Um, and was, you know, kind of dwelling on it afterwards. And then my, my guy went on to talk about, uh, you know, buddies he knew who had been in Vietnam and who would, you know, had pals like die in their arms, mm-hmm. um, you know, and experienced trauma as a result of that. And so he was kind of... Uh, complaining about or I took it to be complaining about the the looseness with which we use the term trauma mm-hmm. um, like a lot of things in mental health you know depression we, we we say these things like oh yeah it was traumatic or yeah I'm kind of depressed today um, sure and sometimes maybe it is the case but I because I, I'm not an expert in trauma um, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit specifically about what uh, what really counts as trauma from someone who, who treats trauma and is an, an uh, expert in trauma. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What would you have said to this this guy? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's so hard. I mean, this is an argument that you see kind of in the field a lot. And, and a good example of this is um, after 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. um, you had people on the West Coast, you know, who were, who were claiming that they were traumatized by kind of watching news reports, basically, mm-hmm. about what had happened in mm-hmm. New York. And so you had this, what, what we'd call maybe a vicarious trauma, where they're watching something happen on a TV screen, okay. but still feeling very distressed about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made the field kind of stand back and say, wow, what does constitute a traumatic event? You know, can you watch it on TV? You know, can we be exposed to traumatic events on TV? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And I, and I hear people talk about how traumatized they are or how traumatic things in our events in their life were all the time. Um, and I'm, I'm real hesitant to kind of pick up the debate on what's trauma and what's not sometimes because what, what may be traumatic for somebody may not be traumatic for somebody else, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and this kid's school performance may actually have been a pretty formative, embarrassing moment in his life. And, and to him pretty traumatic. I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, but certain things can be traumatic. Now, the the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that we use, really defines trauma, a traumatic event as an event that kind of carries a risk of, of life or injury with it or that you're personally witnessing 
uh, something that, that could harm or potentially end someone's life. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the hallmark um, definition of what a traumatic event is according to the DSM. So if you're going to be, let's say, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, the first requirement is that you would have personally seen or been involved with or witnessed uh, an event that threatened real injury or possible fatality. So the being embarrassed in school wouldn't count then? Wouldn't meet criteria for Wouldn't trauma. meet criteria for a, um, a, what they call like a criterion A event for post-traumatic stress disorder. No, it, okay. wouldn't have, it wouldn't have met criteria. That said, I think a lot of people use trauma to describe it was, it was a, an emotionally um, distressing event, right? Getting okay. laughed out in front of your peers mm-hmm. um, probably would be pretty embarrassing. But it's got to it's got to signify something more than just it was emotionally distressing, right? I mean, I think people. Of course, yeah, I, I think that's. I, I'm saying that's. I think what the term is being used for oh, now. Sometimes, sometimes people yeah, use it I like think that, yeah. I think some people just use it to say that was an emotionally charged event for me, right? Um, but it doesn't meet the definition of what I would require for a diagnosis of post traumatic stress. Not at all. Not even close. Okay, let's let's hold off on PTSD for a second because okay. I think that's slightly different. Um, but one one kind of distinction that we've been um, implying here is that a a traumatic event is different than a res- a traumatic response. So mm-hmm. two different people can experience. There were there were lots of people who were in New York who witnessed the Twin Towers falling. Sure. In fact, there were probably way more people who saw that who did not become traumatized yeah. as a result. Yeah. Right. So that what that implies is something about trauma is inherent in your the individual's response to the event, not just the event itself. Very true. Um, yeah. In in, in 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 research you'll see numbers that float between seven and ten percent of people who experience kind of something really traumatic will go on to develop some kind of disorder from it, right? So mm-hmm. it's a really small number of people who actually experience life-threatening or, or mm-hmm. injury-threatening events that actually kind of go on to develop real issues around it. So what what are those issues or symptoms that are characteristic of a traumatic response? Um, man, you, well, you, you know, I, I know we're kind of trying to leave PTSD alone for a minute, but if we imagine that as kind of a hallmark troubled reaction to trauma. Um, there are three kind of predominant symptoms there. Um, hyper arousal where you're just kind of keyed up and anxious and and kind of charged that way. Right after the event or persistently? Persistently after, usually after a month past the trauma. Oh, so it's it's been a month and you're still, you're still kind of wound up because, because if you think about it, it'd be normal to go through something really traumatic and and have that hyper arousal for a little while. Sure. Just your, and by hyper arousal, you mean like what are feeling anxious, keyed up your, your, your startle responses is pretty easily provoked. Um, re-experiencing where you have kind of unwanted thoughts, nightmares, um, um, Images of the event that's kind of that are replaying in your head. That's the second one. That's the second yeah. one. Okay. Um, and then avoidance. You, you try to avoid reminders or um, settings or context that that might remind you of that event. Hmm. Okay. So, so if you witnessed, if you had a traumatic response to the twin towers um, falling, you might for m- even after a month afterwards, you would be overly kind of wound up, anxious, on mm-hmm. edge, mm-hmm. right? Increased startle response. 
um, you might be have recurring dreams about it or intrusive thoughts right. about it. You, you keep sort of imagining it. It plays over and over again in your head. Right. And then avoidance, like you go. Um, I'm not you, going good. I'm not going to go You stay downtown. on Long Island. You're not going to Manhattan. Right. And um, I don't look up in the air to see planes. I you don't watch the news anymore because right. they might be talking about it. Okay. Right. So yeah, those are the three kind of hallmark <laughs> symptoms of that disorder. Um, but but some of those, all three of those, actually are really normal responses to a traumatic event. With uh, a disorder like PTSD, though, it just goes on for too long. Mm. It just persists last. Uh, past a, a point where it should kind of you should be returning to baseline basically. okay that makes sense yeah definitely um so so there, there's definitely so it sounds like in the def in the technical definition of ptsd anyway there's it has to be the event has to be of a certain quality mm-hmm. um exposure to uh something involving death or perceived kind of threat to your your life or someone else's or injury limp. Yeah. injury yeah. yeah severe injury um, but then your reaction has to have those three uh, persistent characteristics as right. well. Right. And, 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 and so that to me is kind of, um, if I use the word traumatic, it's probably going to denote something like that. Yeah. Or if I don't know someone's reaction to something traumatic, it'd probably be something mm-hmm. like that. But then you have clients all the time that'll say, oh my God, last Friday was so traumatic. I was late to work. I did, you know, my boss was upset with me because of this. By the time I got home, you know, my dog had trashed my house and I had to pay $4,000 and a new couch. And oh my God, how traumatic is that? And I think, you know, I think it's interesting though, because I think when there is this casual sense of the term traumatic, and I think actually most people, they use it not just to denote something that was really upsetting, but it has this quality of something that's upsetting that sticks with you longer than you think it should. Mm, right mm-hmm, that you keep mm-hmm. like that you can't shake so yeah. being emotionally upset and not being able to shake it for longer than you feel like it should yeah. be yeah which kind of makes sense that's like the it's like the less severe version of PTSD right but it gets <laughs> right. at that quality of not i mean something bad happened you felt bad in response but the key difference is you can't shake it yeah, or, it's, or it, it's, it sticks it's around a, it's, it's sticking around a little bit longer yeah yeah, yeah. that might that might be a, a good way to look at how a lot of people use the word trauma. That's kind of, when I hear it, that's, that's usually what I, what I hear them saying is not only did this bad thing happen, but like it's, I can't seem to get rid of it. It's following me around. Yeah. It, and it's I don't not know why. like a normal day where I'm just able to kind of move past it and not worry about it again. It's still kind of really bothering me or mm-hmm. upsetting me in some yeah. way. Yeah. Do we, do we know why that seven to 10% of people tend to, um, develop a who not only experience a traumatic event but go on to develop those persistent symptoms afterwards are there theories about that yeah there are definitely theories about that um and 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 looking at those theories is is helpful to see like what makes trauma so special in some ways or or a true traumatic event so so irregular so um one one kind of theory suggests that as a traumatic event is unfolding, we're also making judgments about how we're handling that event, how we're doing. Okay. Um, and that we can, um, we can twist some of our previously held beliefs around to uh, kind of accommodate this new traumatic event that's unfolding in ways that isn't really helpful to us. So, for example, uh, let's say someone's sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And after the event, they, they're sexually assaulted by a man. They just decide men are no longer to be trusted ever, 
right? Mm-hmm. So a previously held belief that people in general could be trusted, men and women, has now been twisted because of the trauma to say men cannot be trusted at all, period. Okay. Right? Now, if you believe that men cannot be trusted at all, period, and half the world is men, or or very close to half. Um, We're slightly outnumbered. It's going to be hard for you to navigate your way through the world without being kind of triggered a lot because you're going to encounter a lot of men who you've mm. now deemed as unsafe. And so now seeing men sometimes can be um, distressing mm-hmm. to you and you want to avoid that, you know? Um, and, and, and so that's one kind of general theory about how trauma affects us. It okay. changes the way we... Um, perceive the world around us and makes it a much more dangerous place Mm -hmm. because we're trying to implement strategies that will help us remain safe and even inside that trauma. Gotcha. Yeah. Another is that we um, kind of experience this intense fear and we are seeing parts of the context of that event um, and, and we kind of meld them together in this kind of classical conditioning way where let's say, for example, um, a certain song was playing as this person was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And now this song has become distressing to them because it's been paired with this horrible event. And so naturally it brings up this kind of uh, desire to avoid those things altogether behaviorally. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to constantly avoid things that might remind us of the event. Um, and even so far as the memory of the event, we want to get rid of, rid of any thought that might occur too. Why would that only happen to 10% of people? Yeah. Good question. What do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and different, little... different types of trauma actually carry different percentages with them. But, but if you look at the, the types of trauma, or if you look at just trauma as a whole, it's, it's between um, usually you know any, anywhere from about 10% to 7% go on to develop. But if you look at a specific traumatic event like rape, Mm-hmm. There's, there's numbers that suggest like 40% of, of rape victims go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And so certain types of trauma um, carry different rates. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, a lot of people, well, those, so with those two theories in mind, you can say, well, that a lot of people then might go through trauma and not have to contort their their previously held beliefs. They don't adjust them. You know, they... They kind of recognize, oh, I was sexually assaulted by someone, but that doesn't mean necessarily that all men are unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't change that view. They don't over accommodate that 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 uh, mm. incident into their understanding, or they're able to um, to go about their lives. And when that song gets played, they kind of just grin and bear it and get through it and and develop a tolerance for it. Um, but if you're constantly avoiding reminders of the trauma, then you're going to be surrounded by um, memories of your trauma. So if you're wait, why flesh that out a little bit? If, if you're what's so what's so bad about if you experience a traumatic event that's mm-hmm. scary and life threatening, right. um, potentially, it seems to make sense. Why wouldn't you avoid things that remind you of what, how scary that was that make you feel bad? Yeah, it totally seems to make sense that that just avoiding those things will help you feel a little bit safer. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is your world gets smaller and smaller. And, and usually with a strategy like that, more and more things start to become reminders of the event. So why is that? Wait, why would, I mean, I get how if you start avoiding things, you're, you're narrowing your, your world, but why, why do more and more things start to cause fear and anxiety? 
Because you're reinforcing the idea that I've got to escape these things. Ah, so when you're running away from them, you're basically telling your own brain all these other things are bad too. Can't handle those things either, mm-hmm. right? And so, you, and you see this with anxiety and avoidance a lot. What you know, it starts out maybe where this this um, sexual assault um, hypothetical person that we're talking about may say, "I'm not going to go out at night. It's too scary. Okay. I was assaulted at night." You know, well, that seems okay. You know, you're going to limit your life and some of the activities you do, but pretty soon when it starts getting to be 8.30, you start getting nervous, right? Mm-hmm. So you give yourself, well, now I just need to be at home by 8.30. Well, then now at about 7.45, you start getting a little nervous. Like, I gotta get, my, my time is 8.30. I got to get home. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I should just start getting home at 7.45, you know? Maybe that's the solution. Well, now at 6.30, I get a little nervous, you know, because I need to be home at 7.45, so... Avoidance kind of works that way. The more and more you avoid, that solution becomes kind of the answer to everything, and you're you're reinforcing escape, basically. That makes sense. Yeah, and strengthening the intensity of the fear response. The idea that you can't handle X, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this kind of gets to my follow-up question, which was, as someone who treats PTSD, um, what does that look like? Like when someone comes in and they've had a traumatic experience and they've their world is getting smaller after a couple of months and mm-hmm. their their fear is getting greater, even though more and more time keeps going by. Um, right. How do you how do you approach treating trauma or PTSD? Yeah, I, I think there's a, really two main components to that. I think I think really helping helping them understand maybe how their thoughts and and behavior strategies have changed since the trauma. Um, and evaluating those strategies for how effective they are and how useful they are for their life long term, and then adjusting those behavioral kind of strategies. But then also um, looking at their understanding of the trauma in general. So, so you work a lot with stopping those avoidant behaviors mm-hmm. and helping that person become more competent, you know, um, entering into contexts where they, they might be nervous. Yeah. And then really looking at their um, cognitive belief system and and how that might have been changed also through the trauma. So you kind of attack it through both of those fronts. Um, How can, basically, how can I help a client understand that their traumatic event may have altered for the worse the way they see the world and themselves in the world? Mm -hmm. And then how can I help them behaviorally stop um, engaging in behaviors that are going to make their lives harder and harder and harder? Mm -hmm. And you do that by talking about things you do like what does it actually look like like what do yeah. you do usually there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into this and this sounds maybe over simplistic but you'll talk a lot about their traumatic event where they are able to go through it and really start to understand it mm. and process it in a way that's healthy for them god how do you do i sorry I, I think i would think that would be really hard you got someone who's just um you know was raped recently mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and they come in you've never met him before and like you're going to have them talk about that? Like, that seems like that would be hard. <laughs> it right? is hard. It, it is extremely difficult. And there's a lot of, there's, there's sessions before that that need to happen so that you can uh, build kind of a relationship with that patient so that they're comfortable mm-hmm. doing that. Um, but part of the problem, if you'll remember, is that they become very terrified of even thoughts or memories mm-hmm. of the event. And you can't escape thoughts and memories. And so that part of, of the, the session is usually devoted to re- going over that story so many times that it almost becomes not boring to them, but it almost becomes not emotionally evocative anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's never going to be a good experience for their lives. 
But you want to process it and talk about it enough so that when it does come up, they don't have that kind of, I've got to get out of here feeling, or I've got to not think of this, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't want to run and hide from our memories or thoughts, basically. Um, And it is difficult, and it is challenging. But with a good therapist that can kind of walk you through that in a in a comfortable um, space and in a in a comfortable pace, um, it can be really beneficial. So I have a slightly nerdy question here. Um, I treat anxiety disorders, panic attacks, OCD, mm-hmm. phobias, um, generalized anxiety. In a lot of ways, what you're describing the th- the thing that seems to. Mm, at least make uh, a traumatic event a lot worse and kind of keep you more and more fearful is avoidance. Um, Right. And that is the hallmark of every other anxiety disorder I know of. Um, And recently, at least in the DSM, PTSD was moved out of the category of anxiety disorders Mm -hmm. and into kind of its own category of trauma. I think it's called trauma-related disorders or something. right. Um, how do you feel about that? Should, should we think about PTSD as not fundamentally an anxiety disorder in its own kind of thing? Um, You're on the record here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> then my answer is yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. I think, I think one, of the, one of the reasons why it was moved is because this disorder, PTSD, um, has a very clear etiology or beginning. The person has to experience a life-threatening or injury-threatening event. And so the, the cause of the disorder um, or, the, or the beginning of the disorder has a very clear um, start. Hmm. And, and I think that was one of the reasons they, they separated it out. Other than that, though, I'd agree with you that this is a kind of hallmark-looking uh, symptom-wise and treatment-wise um, profile as almost any other anxiety disorder. Um, and so I don't know... I wouldn't have moved it out of the anxiety disorder, mm. but I can I can kind of see why they did because this disorder is different in that there is a very clear cause. Devil's advocate. Sure. It's the exact same as panic disorder. So for panic <laughs> disorder, you have to have had at least, you have to have had a couple, like basically a couple panic attacks and you have to respond. Y- your interpretation has to be that I'm going to die or I'm going to go crazy basically. Yeah. That this is... R- basically life-threatening, not unlike PTSD. Um, So similarly, it has a very defined start, Mm -hmm. and the disorder develops based on your reaction and interpretation to that initial event that you thought was going to kill you, basically. I I, I would agree with that, other than we're not sure what caused maybe the initial panic attack. Oh, I mean, it can be anything. Right, right. right? And I think that's the thing. With PTSD, it has to be an event that is terrifying basically where you felt terrified uh sense of helplessness horror whatever it is mm-hmm. so like an actual event so like a panic attack could start as you're brushing your teeth in the morning there's no clear event that maybe started that panic oh yeah does that make sense mm-hmm. that's what people say i disagree with that i've, I've that never right? treated someone with panic who didn't have a, when you ask the right questions and really get them to some kind of cute event yeah they had some sort of event. maybe they were on an airplane and there was a ton of turbulence and, or there was, they were running in the gym and they noticed a weird heart flutter or something like Uh uh it often seems like it comes out of the blue, but so, so for you, you don't really believe in the uncued panic demarcation. 
No, there's always there's always something. Uh, there's always some stimulus. Uh, now, often it's often it's internal. Something happens in your body that freaks mm-hmm, you out, mm-hmm. right? You get super dizzy or lightheaded for some reason, and then you think like I'm having a stroke, right? Right, and that leads to the you stand up attack. too fast. You get that lightheaded. Yep. Maybe right. even fall. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. Um, so I I I have never. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but I've never seen, and that's the true uncued 70% of what I treat yeah. year after year is panic disorder. Yeah, you would. And know. I've, n- I've never seen it before. Huh. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I'm nowhere near writing an essay to defend the move, you know, of PTSD into a Trump. <laughs> I'm nowhere near that. There's part of me that's like, eh, that's kind of a unique part of PTSD. But, but as you're saying, maybe there are other, you know, um, yeah, I think it fit just fine in, in anxiety disorder. So we're getting off in the weeds here, but <laughs> it's an opportunity to rant a little. Sure, bit. sure. I think an, an issue with our field is that we we're confused about whether we should define disorders by how they look or what causes them. Yes, and I think one of the things that um, is confusing is that PTSD often looks very different to the kind of on a superficial level. It often looks very different than. Because it, it often has a very clear, very consistent type of cause or trigger, mm-hmm. or a trigger, not cause, an, an initial sort of catalyzing event. Right, right, right. And the a lot of the types of symptoms look very, very similar. Sure. But if you think about it, is that really the best way to go about defining all of our disorders? Is by how they look, how they <laughs> manifest. <laughs> um, I I would argue that underlying mechanisms and causes are mm. the better way to define to kind of dice up different disorders that the the underlying development points of a disorder are more salient and and important to understand than what it looks like superficially it's it's just a better way to categorize because if you think about it i mean the whole point of making all these different diagnoses is we're trying to treat them we're Mm -hmm. trying to help people right Mm -hmm. and you can't you can't treat something if you don't know what's causing it so if the treatment is is tied directly to the cause, you would think the cause would be, the mechanism would be a better way than so, just how it so, looks. So you'd like to see a, uh, a section in the DSM that says avoidance-related disorders. Yeah, I mean, I think avoidance is the key mechanism that drives all anxiety, anxiety and right. trauma, PTSD-related disorders. It's sure. a, it, they're all um, excessive fear responses that are in some way or another kind of magnified and exacerbated by avoidance, various forms of avoidance. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Which makes sense because that's basically how you treat all anxiety and all PTSD. Like it looks very, very similar. Right. With exposure. The the commonalities Mm -hmm. are way bigger than the differences. Yeah. There, there, there really is a, um, a treatment for PTSD that, that, um, is, is, is great and shows a lot of promise, um, cognitive processing therapy that leaves a lot of that exposure stuff out. Um, and it's, and it's been a very successful therapy as well. And so the other part, I mean, there, there's part of post-traumatic stress. It's definitely kind of that avoidant driven, uh, side that looks very similar to almost any other anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And then there's almost the side of, of, um, the cognitive processes that go along with trauma that, that, or PTSD that almost look, um, similar to depression almost in a way where the event has really caused a skewed way of thought to develop mm-hmm. or a skewed way of thinking to develop. 
Um, I'm, I'm not suggesting this is what makes PTSD so uh, unique and it, and it should be out, but it, it is an interesting disorder where, where both kinds of an, an anxiety um, component is there and also this kind of um, uh, cognitive side that almost looks depressionogenic almost on, on the other side. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting disorder, but there are really good treatments out there. It, it breaks my heart, I think, to hear people who talk about uh, struggling with PTSD for years and years and years because there's really wonderful treatments out there that um, show significant promise. Um, A lot of the people I will talk to in those circumstances haven't sought out treatment and they really feel like it's just something they're going to have for the rest of their lives, which I think is a mistake, you know, to assume that that's going to happen and and not seek treatment Mm because some of the treatments that are offered are really good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and so it's a very treatable disorder and, and there's a lot of success with it. It's, it's a tough, it's tough to get treatment sometimes for lots of things, but it's it's well worth it, I think, in the long run. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.